Okay, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. And in chapter 17, I've titled this message, Jesus, the Reflection of Perfection. And if I could ask a personal question. If you were to look back at your youth, and a lot of times it's with the youth, the youth had a particular hero of theirs of some sort. Uh, it could have been an athlete, it could have been a musician, it could have been an actor, whoever. Maybe it was somebody personal in their lives that was some sort of a personal hero. And then you find out something about them, or maybe you see something that changes your outlook on them, which takes away from the title of being a hero. I'm a percussionist. I... I uh, I like to play uh, percussion instruments and drums. And it was interesting because there was a very influential man that uh, has taught me much. Now, he's been dead for a few years. But I was able to obtain some of his lectures as he was a uh, professor at a theological seminary. And he was a very well-respected professor. And this man really, even though I've never met him, uh, he, he is really done a lot within me, even though he's been gone for years. But see, when he was a young man, he too had a hero, because he too was a percussionist. He actually got to meet his hero. He won a contest in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And the contest was to meet this particular well-known drummer by the name of Gene Krupa. And if you're, if you're a percussionist or if you're familiar, familiar with uh, uh, famous drummers, if you will, and especially from the big band jazz days, there was uh, the, the greatest of all time is a man by the name of Buddy Rich. And he is absolutely phenomenal. He, even in his 70s, he did drum solos that most really good people couldn't accomplish. But during his era, there was another man by the name of Gene Krupa. And I used to think to myself, I've seen them do drum duels and, and, and competitions together. Uh, they were friends. And I used to say to myself, well, let's not count Gene Krupa out. He is no slouch by any means. I've seen the man go, and he's quite impressive himself. Well, this seminary professor in his youth won this contest to meet his hero. And out of his own words, and to my shock... He says that, well, he goes, I just happened to have walked into his dressing room just a little bit too short. <laughs> he says, I walked in on him shooting up some form of heroin. And I thought to myself, I said, well, there you have it. That explains why he was able to play as, as fast as he did all over the place. But the problem was, was that when he saw that, his outlook was completely changed. See, I want to point us into a direction of a hero that deserves to be a hero. And that is Christ Jesus. As I title this message, Jesus, the reflection of perfection. Why? Because he did no wrong. He did things that didn't require anything. It didn't require any substance. He was the substance. Nobody could stop the weather by telling it to stop. He did. No one could walk on water. He did. Nobody could, could feed 5,000 or more people with, with five loaves of bread and two fish. He did. Nobody could raise the dead by simply speaking and calling their names. He did. So, what kind of, what kind of heroes do we have? Mere men that disappoint us? 
or a loving Savior that, that saved us and gave us a place in eternity who died for us. See, there's heroes too that have died for people and, and, and praise God for them. But only one died for every single person on this, on this earth for the sake of eternal existence. You know, when I read the Gospels, Jesus came, but yet he never wrote anything on himself. Jesus didn't write his own autobiography. What we're reading is the Gospels written from the men who were with him, who were eyewitnesses of all things done and said. Jesus never wrote his own autobiography. These were the praises and the careful uh, detail written down of what Christ did and who he was and, and so on and so forth, giving him the proper recognition of worship. And that is exactly where it belongs, my friends, is right there with him. He is our hero. We might have people that we admire because of their talents and their abilities, but we shouldn't label them as a hero. Because, again, none of them would be willing to die for you who was a fan of them. We are followers of Christ Jesus. And again, the emphasis always to him. The honor always to him. And so as, as we look at Luke chapter 17, again, we're going to look at things again that, uh, of all of the diverse doings of our Lord and Savior. And, and what an amazing, what an amazing account that we see written down here is nonstop. It's, it's, it's continual. All, all four Gospels that we have were recognition of who he is, what he's done, and as far as I'm concerned, what he's able to do today. And so I, I'll never forget what was said about, about you know, the church of Corinth. You know, when, when Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, he told them that, you know, you guys have been in existence with the Lord for five years and you're still drinking milk when you should be eating solid food. And when I looked at that, I realized that the Corinthian church, that, yeah, they were still drinking from milk, okay? And, and, and so that tells me that they were able to tell everyone what Christ did, but the ones eating the solid food could say not just what he's done, but what he's doing right now as we speak. And that's the big difference maker. See, our hero was not a was, he's an is. He's still here amongst us, watching over us. Hearing and seeing everything that we do. And I pray again that, that as each message that we give is, is honorable to him, that, that is taught on a voice in the distance. Let's give him that praise by observing what he's done. And we're going to be looking at chapter 17. I'll start off in verse 1 through 4. It says, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. If we be better for him, if a millstone were hung around his neck, and if he were thrown into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So, the, you know, the, the Lord points out two issues of offenders. We have unintentional versus intentional. You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And, and the word for offenses is called scandalon. It would almost like be where we would get the word scandalous from. And, and Jesus dealt with these all the time in the Pharisees. 
they were always scheming a way to stump Jesus in his teaching and his miracles. And we've seen in, in other chapters that he would go to a Pharisee's house for dinner and someone with a medical condition would be there on the Sabbath setting him up uh, to heal or do some sort of work on the Sabbath that was on, on their devious side. But see, he realizes that some make mistakes with no intention. But it happens. And, and when it does, a requirement to meet one another halfway is said here. Make it known to the offender, and to the offender make it right with the one you offended. But you see, the tolerance for the premeditated harm is dangerous. I want to read from you Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 26 and 7 uh, of chapter 26. It says, Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. And whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. And that happens, and rightfully so. See, with every offense, when true repentance is asked for, true forgiveness should be given. No matter how good you may be, we need Christ's forgiveness daily. See, as he forgives us, he requires the same love for one another. But you see, it's interesting because the, the disciples asked for something interesting in verse 5. And let's take a look at that and what it says. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he is coming from the field, come in at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the, the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. So increase our faith was asked. If we asked what is faith or what kind of faith do you have, what would be said? You know, faith really what it is, it's, it's complete total dependence on God with a willingness to do his will. And, and that's something that we live in our life, okay? It's something we live in life every day. And if you, I like the, the abbreviation of what I've heard once in the form of life, L-I-F-E, which could be living in faith every day. See, children, you know, have a natural form of faith in their parents that they will be, that they're going to be loved and cared for until they get a little older. And when they don't get what they, uh, what they want, the demeanor changes, we get that way with God in all ages, you see. But the amount of faith is what's looked at here. This tiny seed, like a mustard seed, which is almost invisible. But, you know, once it's produced, once it produces, it spreads into something much larger and actually something beneficial, something beautiful even. And Jesus reminds them that at the end of the day, the master didn't compliment or reward the servant. See, it was unheard of in that day. Uh, they did their duty. It's funny when I, I stepped away from uh, when I stepped away from the church that I served in for twelve years. 
And uh, over the years, I have pretty much served in every capacity of leadership, uh, as well as on the worship team, as I said that I was a percussionist. So I, I played drums and percussion instruments. And uh, somebody asked me if, if the church did anything for me um, as, of, as of a benefit of sort, and, and, and I said no. And that was the absolute truth. There was absolutely nothing done for me. The church didn't owe me anything. See, I owe God everything for allowing me to serve how I did. And serving God and, and in ministry, is it's not a right. It's a privilege. And he gave us a gift that we can never repay. And, and that is eternal life and heavenly citizenship. But see, let me remind us that everything we do for him in truth is never forgotten by the Lord. Uh, there are rewards waiting. But even if it's not, okay, even if there's not rewards, it's still a, a privilege to, to do for the Lord. Because in the end, he says, well done, well and faithful servant. Uh, I've never said or seen anything where he says, well said, or well taught. He says, well done, is what is said, and what we've done in our service. But, see, beware of self-worth. You know, and this is a true story. I heard of a young soldier. He was standing in line to meet Winston Churchill in, in England, the Prime Minister of England at the time. And this young man, he stuck his chest out and he saluted, saying, Mr. Churchill, sir, I am a self-made man. <laughs> Winston Churchill's response to this young man was, he looked right down at him and he says, Young man, I'm afraid that you have taken a very solemn responsibility away from God with that comment. And so I would hope that that humbled the young soldier because what Mr. Churchill said was, was extremely true. I am a self-made man. Well, I wonder how often uh, people who say that blame themselves for the downfalls when they trip and fall. We need our Savior. We want to be we want to be spirit led and God made men and women, not self made. And as we look at verse eleven, we're going to see what else is uh, what, what the Lord does here again, because the Lord is going to be a hero to a group of ten guys. So let's take a look here. It says, "Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and then as he entered a certain village, there he uh, met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off." And they said, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that, that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You know, Luke has made known on a few occasions of lepers that Jesus healed before. But you see, this one had to have been more astonishing because Luke was, he was the uh, physician in the group. And not just one leper, but ten of them healed with an unlikely member in the leper colony. So, so why make known all these times 
was because leprosy was a death sentence, right? This isn't the first time Luke made known about a leprosy healing. Because Luke realized more than anything that anybody who had leprosy had a death sentence. See, it literally ate you alive, which was a, it was a very painful, slow deterioration. And, and in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, there were rituals for lepers. Um, and, it, and it had to do with like the hyssop, which was a, a medicinal plant. Cedar wood and other items used by a priest. And there was this one occasion where a uh, Syrian general by the name of Naaman, who was told to jump in and out of the Jordan River seven times by the prophet Elisha. And when he did, he was miraculously cleansed in a river that is typically muddy and murky through the majority of the Jordan River. And, and a doctor, even the most skilled and knowledgeable, cannot cure leprosy. Because, see, when Naaman heard what he had to do, he thought he was joking. He was actually insulted because he wasn't actually spoken to by the prophet. The prophet sent a messenger. And his comment was, is, why do I need to jump into that dirty river when I have crystal clear rivers in my homeland of Syria? Well, you see, Naaman, who was a foreigner, practiced a little faith. He practiced some obedience. And he did something that we've never heard anybody else have to do. Jump in and out of the river seven times. Jesus wasn't around at this time. But this was an act of God through a prophet that healed him through obedience by jumping in and out of the river seven times. And it said that his skin was actually clearer than it's ever been. And so we had another one, the Samaritan, a Samaritan leper. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jews um, uh, who lived right in the middle of Israel with different beliefs and rituals than the Jews. You know, Jews would actually purposely avoid Samaria in their travels because it was located right in the middle of Israel. But this one lived amongst uh, the others because they shared not just a, a disease, but they shared the same pain and the same loneliness as an outcast from society. And like every person, a death day... Is, is coming, but unfortunately, uh, a more painful, uh, d which, which is a disease that cuts your life much shorter. Now, it would be interesting to see if these nine, if these nine guys that were healed with him interacted with him after they were healed. I would say probably not. But you see, the Samaritans sought him out to give thanks, and the others were typical. They went out and they went back to their everyday life. See, Jesus said, your faith made you well, he said. And the outcast believed, once he's seen the Messiah, that he will be good now. And see, Jesus knew that. See, the Samaritan leper's gra gratitude was pleasing to the Lord. But it was his faith in Christ that Christ was looking for. As a, as a parent, one of the most rewarding and touching things that you can hear from your child is gratitude for loving and caring for them. And the thankful man learned that his faith played a role in his healing. But grateful Christians grow in understanding God's grace, especially when experienced on numerous occasions. Take the time to reflect on some things that the Lord has delivered you from. And may it bring a smile to you. So we don't want to be like the other nine who disappeared. But we want to be like the one who, who, uh, who reappeared.
to see Christ. A lot of us might say and, and, and think that, well, you know, the Lord's really never done anything for me before. Well, you know what, as far as I'm concerned, if, even if he never did anything for me, just reading everything about him here is a blessing. He's done more for me just by reading about him more than, I, than he would have to do for me in the form of a miracle. Now, granted, granted he's, he's given me blessings and miracles and answered prayers. I can attest to those things. But I could also attest from the guilt after reading this stuff that I could easily just become like anybody else. Thank you for everything. Go on my merry way and never return to, to, to serve the one who deserves to be served. And, and so there is dangers in those things. Now let's take a look here in verse 20. It says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And then he said to the disciples, The, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, or look there, do not go after them, or follow them. For, it, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part of heaven shines to the other part under the heavens, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things, and be rejected by this generation. And as it, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. I have to wonder, how many Pharisees Jesus spoke to who questioned him? And questioned him in his messianic presence, which was proven over and over. Now, perhaps this one had never encountered the Lord, I don't know. See, there were only two names of Pharisees mentioned in the, in the New Testament. And those names were Nicodemus and then Gamaliel in the book of Acts. And both of these guys were the top leaders of the Pharisaical movement. The kingdom of God is not found by dogmatic observation. The, the Pharisees sounded like a heckler. And I've seen some. Uh, you know, being a heckler doesn't make you an expert. It makes you a pot-stirring nuisance. You know, they're like gnats and mosquitoes. They like to be surrounded by light. But once the light goes out, they go, and, they go out and they suck the blood out of people and spread diseases. And that sounds exactly like the acts of the Pharisees. But he, see, he warned of others. Others who will say, look here, look there. Or, or better yet, look at me, I'm the coming Messiah. <laughs> many, of, many have and many believed in our day. In, in the 19th and 20th century. They asked when the kingdom of God would appear, not knowing that he was right there. And we need to be careful at looking at the institutions, at the organizations, or the programs as the evidence of the progress in God's kingdom. Remember that it's not like an earthly kingdom with borders and boundaries. It goes beyond borders and boundaries and into the lives and hearts of people from all over. And that is what needs to be seen. But the Lord is a speaker of truth. He warned of sufferings. He first took all the suffering while on earth and the rejection and, and the Pharisees wanting to stone him and most of all his time on the cross. People who have followed him have paid a price of sorts. Some have even paid with their own lives. And he spoke of the days of Noah thousands of years ago 
And, and though things have changed in the advancement of things, uh, some of the ways of life were still as is, though, unfortunately. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, getting, uh, getting married and living life. Until one day they encountered not just rain for the first time, but a 40-day flood that drowned the world, sparing only Noah and his family, eight people altogether. And in just a minute, he will give another account of how God gets people's attention. Because God's power is evident all throughout time, but at times people ignored it. Water was the first thing used, but he also can bring fire as well in the forms of punishment as we look at verse 28. Likewise, it was also said in the days of Lot, they ate and they drank, they, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on that day, the Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is stuck in the field, let him not return back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. See, I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed, and the one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, and the other left. And he answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. You know, like the flood and like the raining of fire in Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they never seen it coming. And Jesus said in previous chapters that he would return and come like a thief in the night. And, and there's two times that this is where this is, is talking about, which is the rapture of the church before the tribulation breaks loose. And then... There will be a second coming, which is all spoken of in the book of Revelation, years after Jesus said this. It was witnessed by the Apostle John when he wrote the book of Revelation. And, and there will come a time when the people of God, the church will be taken, in body, poof, we're gone, right? We're, we're, we're with him in his presence, snatched away. See, we call it rapture. And in the Greek, it's, it's, uh, the Greek text, it's called harpazo, which means to snatch from, like a snare. Uh, the word rapture was translated from the Latin word rapturo, which is how we uh, say it in English. But, see, the Lord gave a little insight of life during the second coming. And, and it will not be good times. Pestilence and wars will be happening like no other. And people that I talk to uh, who are in their 70s, uh, while we're in the year of 2018, are saying, well, I'm glad I won't be here for that, but maybe your grandchildren will. And, and if there was not a receiving of Christ, that, that's what they're going to experience. We prepare ourselves for many things in the world and for our future. But, but are we preparing for this? The coming of the Lord, that is, right? Be ready at all times, because we're going to be we're going to meet him regardless, whether that it be in rapture or in physical death. Each way is going to happen. So why not be ready? And if I can relate it to an example we can all relate to, it will be in regards to your home, your house. 
you know, when you invite someone like a guest of honor of sorts to dinner and you're cleaning the place from top to bottom and, and the good china is being used to eat on. But what does the house look like normally? Every so often, those closest to you will stop by unannounced to visit to say hello. And then they see what it really looks like in there. Right? Dirty laundry on the couch, unwashed dinner plates on the floor, countertops, whatever the case. And some people will be so embarrassed that they won't let them in. Others normally, uh, there's others who normally clean regularly and have no problem. In fact, they're glad to see you and welcome you in. I'm glad you stopped by. Well, as a man or a husband, I, I may be the man of the house. But I'm not over the house. Christ is. He doesn't need an invitation to his place. And he will come when he wants. So do we live like the filthy person who is embarrassed when an arrival comes? And you cannot dine with your father? Well, then it will be a loss that you wish you hadn't passed up. You have a chance right now for a reservation. You have a chance to have a table with your name written all over it, ready for you. Maybe maybe you have been picked up before. A lot of times when you're at the airport and you have a ride, a chauffeur or whatever the case may be, somebody is downstairs waiting with you, waiting with their name on a on a piece of paper. They're ready to take you to your destination. That's what the Lord's doing here. Do you want your name on the sign? Do you want to have a reservation, a table ready for you? Well, then may we be ready for him. Because we want to make sure that we that we are ready at any given moment. A surprise visit could come when we least expect it. But let me tell you, it's a good visit. But I want to take this time again to make sure that your reservation is made. I want to make sure that when your time has come, when you're going down that escalator, you see the chauffeur with, with your name on the paper, ready to take you to your destination. And your destination is a heavenly one. How do I get there? Well, it's simple. It's quite simple, actually. We're, go, we're going to say a simple prayer together. And we're, going, and we're going to say a prayer receiving Christ Jesus into your heart. So if you're ready, and if you feel led, and if you feel, feel the touch of the Holy Spirit, say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner, and I ask you, Lord, to receive me into your heart, Lord. And into your kingdom as, as I receive you into my heart, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross, Lord. And Lord, may you receive me into your kingdom when my time comes. For Father, I love you. I praise you. And I ask of all of these things, Lord, now. In the receiving of your kingdom, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, what a blessing to know that the Word of God can be taught and that His presence can be felt.
So may you feel his presence always, not just on, a, not just on an occasion, but on, on a constant presence. Because again, he's watching over us. He's with us. So let's take the time to spend a little more time with him, a little more quality time. And may you remember just to keep in prayer, to keep in his word, and keep hold of his hand at all times. May God bless you.